Hello, this is Matt Hale bringing you live Art Monthly's talk show on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm joined in the studio today by Jennifer Thatcher and on the telephone line by Morgan Quaintance, who, by brilliance of our engineers, can be heard from France. Hello, Morgan. Hello, Matt. How are you? It worked. Great stuff. Sorry, this is not terribly interesting technical stuff for the listener. We understand, but we are all in awe of it. Um, Just while I've got you all listening, I'm going to mention a great offer for Art Monthly's subscription, which is only £25, which is a saving of £19. And it's a great offer also for people in Europe, North America and the rest of the world. The way you get it is by going to www.artmonthly.co.uk slash resonance. And there's a special page on the website of Art Monthly giving you that offer. So we hope you'll listen. Now, the idea of the programme is that we are discussing, uh, in this instance, probably two features, certainly one and a book review Morgan Craters has written a book review, and Jen's written a feature, and um, basically the programme is to try and entice you to want to read their pieces. So we're not going to give you exactly what they are, we're going to give you their verbal versions as best we can. And then hopefully you'll be so keen, you'll subscribe if, subscribe if you don't, or buy it and read it, or read it if you've got it already. Um, OK, we're off. We're now starting with Tino Segal. Um, now, Jen... You met Tino, didn't you? I mean, this is not exactly an interview in the magazine, which is, by the way, the September 2012 issue 359 of Art Monthly. You didn't actually um, interview him and then we just transcribed the interview. You, you kind of wrote about your experience and the conversation. Am I right about that? Yes, well, Tino doesn't uh, allow uh, interviewers to transcribe interviews as straight Q&As, so I thought I could get round it, but he was pretty adamant. Um, I think you got very close, didn't you? Because there are some quotes virtually, aren't there, from quite a few, in quite a few of the... I mean, he's... Yeah, I think he was be- being deliberately slippery um, as... Um, I mean, he, the interview felt like being in his piece. It felt like one of his encounters in which he was um, kind of limiting our encounter in some, in some kind of form. When you say encounter, just to really spell it out, I mean, we're talking about a piece which is called These Associations, am I right? In Tate Modern's Turbine Hall. It's on now, I think, isn't it? I mean, I went the other weekend, and I think it was it was still going on when I was there. It's on until the 28th of October. Well done, well done. And so, um, yes, I mean, it's a piece in which, the, at the heart of it, there, there's a possibility of meeting um, various performers, or what he would call interpreters, um, who break away from a crowd and come and talk to you. Um, and uh, tell you something about their lives, which uh, is some kind of intimate kind of confession or problematic that they've experienced. Um, And then uh, there is a possibility of a two-way conversation about this experience in which obviously you can respond, Um, but it's always limited by the fact that these people can cut off the conversation at any point. Like you you wouldn't know when that would happen, it would just suddenly they would walk off? No, I did ask Tino about this um, because it was quite disconcerting to me because I had three different encounters before I met Tino and in two of the cases um, those conversations were broken off um, and I felt like maybe I had been boring one of the interpreters so I asked Tino at what point they were um, whether there was a time limit in terms of these encounters but he said if if uh, 
if the conversation turned to chit chat, as he called it, um, they were they had to break it off. And on an, on my third encounter, I had this kind of um, the, the interpreter started talking to me about the piece, and we started having a kind of philosophical discussion about being in the piece, which is absolutely against the rules of oh, the piece. Really? Oh, really? Um, and when I mentioned this to Tino, he was very suspicious and asked me to describe this guy. So I felt like I was getting him into trouble. But all of this was very interesting to me because it felt. I mean, this was a, is a huge deal for Tino Segal to, to take on the Turbine Hall as a, um, as a venue for his type of art because, it's, of course, it's, it's enormous and to make any kind of impact, one needs to have a lot of different performers um, who all have their schedules and rotors and need to be employed and it becomes a, a mass um, human resources exercise. And it becomes difficult in such a massive place to tell the difference between the interpreters and the audience. And so for me, it's a piece that seemed to test the limits of his art and in a way started to fall apart, which I think I was getting the impression that he felt the same and that he was a little bit on the edge of losing control of it. But did he really see that as a problem, do you think? Because he doesn't, to me, it doesn't sound like a problem. It sounds quite exciting that the, more I talk the about risk it, would be taken. The more I talk about it, the more it seems like a good thing that it's falling apart. But I think in the early days, maybe it didn't. It wasn't the plan, perhaps. Perhaps it wasn't the plan. Because yeah. um, he talks about intentions, I think, doesn't he? Well, and, the, whether, and he doesn't seem to think that they're important. The artist's intention is not something... Is that right? Well, his... Uh, he, he suggested that the intention would be difficult to translate into a verbal or written format and that he couldn't be 100% sure anyway that his, his intentions were translated into the piece itself. Um, and famously or infamously, he never has any documentation around the piece. So everybody who is involved in the piece in a way is interpreting his work. And this kind of, it very much feels to me very much a piece of art piece for our time in that um, um, it's, it's about the kind of presence and power of crowds and what it means to be in a social scenario but without um, but the interesting thing is how that then becomes art or whether it does become art and he's you know talking about this with him he was very clear that um, his piece was highly choreographed that it that it had a very specific aesthetic uh, format and, and a set of rules and that the limitations of the piece were what excited him um, and a lot of critique around participatory art is that the pieces that participants don't really have um, much of a, uh, a say in how, how in the outcome of a piece it's that the, the piece has already been predetermined um, so but, tightly structured that there's no room for play exactly or... exactly and so when uh, a viewer comes or spectator comes in as a participant. They're not really a participant. They're just just going. They're more like an actor going through the motions of a pre pre written script. But for him, those kind of limitations are what art is anyway, and so that's what you work with. But for me, the piece was interesting in that it kept threatening to spill into life, which is because. The, the more people you have, the more likely it is that you might have something in common with them, the fact that you're meeting them in daylight, that you have so many different encounters. Um, you know, I was being cheeky quite a lot of the time, trying to ask him what would happen if um, I invited one of the interpreters for a drink upstairs, if we wanted to continue our conversation, what happens if this... Because already in my three encounters, one of the rules was broken. Mm. Um, and 
uh, I was standing next to an acquaintance when she had a, an encounter in which um, she, the, her interpreter turned out to be someone who taught on her university course. And so the possibility of um, breaking this, this anonymity that seemed important to the piece is, seemed very real to me. Actually, uh, can I interject? Please yes, do, please. Come, in, uh, come in. Yeah, just to say that I also saw somebody that I knew in the piece, <laughs> and uh, I, I was so shocked by seeing this person because I hadn't seen him for a while, that I nudged the person to the left of me and said, that's so-and-so, and then we caught his eye, and, and I think he felt slightly embarrassed. But it's funny because we're talking about the idea that it, it, it spilled out of this arena of theatre into everyday life, but his reaction was exactly the reaction that you would get when somebody points you out on stage or calls your name out in, during a concert or a theatre performance. You mean they kind, of, they kind of ignored you? Do you think it, what, he was very much in the piece, he didn't want to come out of it, he'd been sort of brainwashed not to, to break any of the rules? Or, no, just no, he was embarrassed because I'd seen him. You know, he, he was embarrassed that he was performing and, and you know, that I, I'd exposed this performance. That you know, I, think, I suppose the idea as an actor is that you suspend disbelief as a participant, right, in a play... And so I think it's the same thing when you participate in something by Tino Segal. You enter this kind of non, uh, non-place non where you, you're, you're not... Well, I suppose they're, they're there to enact who they are, but in a way that it is another role because it's it's not entirely natural. So I suppose you have to go into a kind of mesmeric state where it's, you are... You're, it's an artificial... To... Sorry, come on, go on. Sorry, go on. No, no, no I was just going to say, it's you... an artificial place, isn't it? I mean, Jen was saying before we came on the programme, we were just chatting about what we might say, um, and you described Tate Modern itself as this um, place where it was already... Uh, the, we talked about um, the, the writer... Um, we talked about Nicolas Bourriot and, and, yeah, yeah, and how nowadays it's not like a, that you need to create scenarios in which you you generate social interaction. I mean, Tate Modern is a, a kind of... already is an example of a place which is full of social interactions. I mean, the, the cafe is full of people who are not even there for the art, who come to have a coffee meeting or whatever. Mm. And and the only place actually that isn't sociable in Tate is the turbine hall. So, I mean, it is a, it is a really... It was a really difficult thing, I think, for Tino Segal to do. And in fact, I, I started off really in a way disliking the piece because it, it seemed to me that I had to kind of work hard to get into the piece. Um, maybe be- I, I worried that I'd seen too much and I'd, I was having to go through the motions of being a part- being a spectator in a kind of participatory art experience and try- maybe knowing too much, feeling like I had to go in up to an interpreter because they weren't coming up to me and I was breaking mm. the rules. Um, and I felt, oh, this isn't good. I wonder whether um, participatory art is going to kind of... Um, is going to have to work much harder in a way because everyone sort of knows the rules of it these days. But then, in a way, the more I thought about it, the more I realised it was starting to fall apart, this idea, and and the more I liked it, in a way, um, because I felt like people were rebelling in the piece or or the fact that Tina Segal couldn't possibly know what everyone was going to say and that actually they were going to have to keep changing their stories to to keep interested in the piece because they're not going to... I mean, it's unlikely that they would say... The same story each time that they, you know, for for the period of however many months they're going to do it. So, um, so what would be interesting is to f- to follow an interpreter through the piece and see how they evol- evolved. Um, I don't know. I mean, it seems to me that Tina was less interested um, in the development of his interpreters than he was in his relationship to an audience, and I thought that was, in a way. Um, Maybe that was that was a mistake because I think that was interesting. Well, that there was as much interest for me in how the participants or interpreters felt about the piece. 
Uh, th th that bringing that, um, mentioning the, the interpreters again, and Morgan, in your review of Claire Bishop's book, Artificial Hells, which is in the same yeah. same issue, I mean, Claire, I mean, you tell us, but basically I'm mentioning it now because if the are the interpreters, I mean, she says something about masochism and a mas masochistic quality to participatory art, doesn't she, uh, I think? Well, well that's, I mean, that's, what, that's what Jen says in her piece. So when you read the book and reviewed it, how does it connect with Tino's work, what, what Claire says? Well, I guess uh, she says quite a number of things. <laughs> I'm sure. Book, really. And she sort of tries to sketch out a sort of grand arc of uh, participatory practice that, that, as we know it today. And one of those spheres that Tino would fit in, I suppose, would be what she calls delegated performance, uh, which is what uh, Santiago Sierra does. And what I suppose all artists do when they, they sort of outsource their artwork to um, uh, other human beings. Uh, and, and the sort of maxim that, that works throughout the book is that participatory artists are interested in using uh, human beings as the medium and material for their work. Um, and this is where the problem sort of arises that she's butting it, well, that she's sort of fighting against, or that she's um, critiquing in a way, uh, is that uh, this new um, binary, which is the, the ethical uh, versus the aesthetic um, criteria for judging particip participatory art. <laughs> and so she, she's on the side of the kind of, um, well, aesthetic, really. She's sort of saying we shouldn't be looking at participatory art as if it's got a kind of moral compass. Um, and so I think one of the things that she was talking about towards the end of the book was this idea that um, when we look at, uh, say, Santiago Sierra's works, and there's we, what we see is something that re that well closely resembles the subjection of people who are uh, sort of um, disenfranchised in society. She's saying, well, actually, perhaps what we should be appreciating is the very aesthetic, is the very um, a remediation, yeah, of that idea for for us to sort of have a look at. And appreciate. It, I'm not sure if I'm making myself clear, but it's the idea that we're looking at exploitation and, and I suppose, uh, the skill with which that exploitation is represented or articulated is what we should be admiring. And, and, and also, at the same time, we should be looking at the participants and thinking that they're actually taking pleasure in, in um, sort of um, restaging uh, the, 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 the uh, I guess, the events surrounding their own do you, do you think if that makes sense. Do you think the artist, that she's letting the artists off the hook in a way? I, I think she is. I, I think she is. and I, I, It's a strange one because I, one of the things, when she was using these examples in the book of, of people who were on the side of um, the ethical argument and people on the side of the aesthetic, they're kind of both hysterical ends of the pole. And I don't think anybody really judges participatory art on one side. Of, of that side. I, I think whenever anyone makes judgments about art, they're, they're sort of holistic judgments. It's not just purely because it looks good and, um, you know, it's, it's as deep as a puddle. Everybody's looking for depth and aesthetic appreciation. And it, it, it's a kind of, as I say, a holistic experience. So I think in, in sort of fighting in the corner of, of these artists who are making things that a kind of um, morally suspect or ethically suspect. Yeah, I, I do think she's letting off the hook because there is something inherently wrong in using human beings as the medium and material for your work. That's such a strange idea, and that we, we should just. And the thing that Claire Bishop does really well, she she, she articulates thorny issues in such a, a a sort of slick way that it sort of 
watches over you and, and you sort of think, oh, that's, that's right. Of course, that's the case. But actually, when you pick it apart and think about it, there's something in fundamentally problematic about the idea of using human beings as medium and material. Because I was thinking about it, it's like it's what the army does, right? The medium of, of the, the states uh, expressing themselves is through human beings to oppress some other state that's in their way. And also that human beings are the material, right? They're the material that's disposable. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just think it's... It's the anonymity, isn't it, that these artists, uh, I mean, for the most part, much participatory art is about anonymity, as it is with Tino Segals. It's not the same as um, being in a theatrical performance or being an actor in a film in which you, your name will then be known by people afterwards. Yeah, exactly. You mean, you mean, do you mean the actor's name? Yeah, the actor's mean? name. Right. Well, you mean, the you mean the, so the participants will? We don't know who they are, and their names aren't mentioned in writing anywhere. No, it's rare to get so an interpreters. interview. Yeah, it's, it's rare to get an interview with an interpreter who said, you know, who was a particularly good interpreter who talks about their experience. I mean, there was one in um, your rival magazine, Art Review, where a, a participant in you know Segal's work talked about how uh, amazing her experience was. Um, but and also, I should speak to that because sometimes I think there's this there's this kind of um, sort of secular spiritualism that is attached to participatory art, right? So the idea that somehow the artist is helping the person involved in it enact this kind of liberation, spiritual liberation, and, and that allows them to realise something about themselves or allow, allow them to realise that they're being oppressed in some way or that... Um, so, so say, you know, Francis Elise from Faith Move Mountains, and it's the idea that suddenly these people who are being you know, subjected to, to oppression, they're going to realise, oh, that's what's happening and I should fight against it. Or even, let's say, um, the artist is present, right? Because I'd, I'd call that a participatory art piece. And there's this idea that people are going to suddenly found something kind of this ineffable quality and just sitting there and looking at Marina Abramovich. <laughs> it's so strange, but that seems to loom, doesn't it, with, with participatory art, that somehow... The artist is, is a, it holds this, the, the key to some sort of enlightenment that the art, that the participatory process allows the participant to gain access to. This, I, I think that's weird. Morgan, this reminds me of um, Gillian Waring's videos of of people, you know, where she would she would kind of get what she called amateur people to be in her videos or people would come in and I mean I, I'm not it, it's like as if it's come out of the video and now it's mm. happening in a live way, but it's quite similar. And I always felt yeah. quite uncomfortable about some of her use of people, although obviously they signed up to do it, as these people it's, are. It's sort of, which doesn't, but for me, it didn't really excuse it quite. No, it is troubling, but the, the, and also it's weird, because she is mentioned in Claire Bishop's book, but I kind of wouldn't lump her in with those other people, because I think that was a, almost an expression of her surroundings. Like, if you live in, if you live in New Cross, you know, those those. That area, those sort of alcoholics that I think she pulled from off the street to be, you know, in that space. And I can't remember the name of the word. They're just sort of there. Yes. So as as a kind of undergrad, I sort of I felt that that was an, that that sort of was indicative of where she was, if you know what I mean. But there's a, there's a, also something that Claire Bishop says in this book is that the, the, the maxim, the, the the thing that she uses is that. Um, uh, she's talking about participatory art in which people constitute the central artistic medium and material, and then she adds in the manner of theatre, which is pro uh, which doesn't I, I couldn't understand what she meant by that idea, because 
I think acting in theatre is completely different to participating in an artwork. Even though you may be being paid at some point, it goes back to what Jennifer, uh, Jennifer was saying, is that you know, you're, you, there is some kind of... Ex- how can I put it? There, there is some kind of... Um, you, you gain from it, you're, you're adding to your career as an actor. It's not just an isolated experience. Uh, there are guilds, there are unions. It's like... Yeah, it's it's very, very different. different. I mean, it yeah. sounds more to me like, that, like there's a blending between audience and actor. I mean, it's like, mm. it's, like it's closer to the audience has just been drawn in further mm. than, than they would have been with a static artwork because they're kind of still... I mean, I know they're creating, they're helping to create the work, but they are also somehow, well, they're just very close to being an audience as well. And when you're an audience member walking around them, there is not a lot of difference, and you could even join in yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could go and do what they're doing and not be part of him. Could, could you? Yeah, I, I mean, well, there is a sense that, you, you know, you're not quite sure what's happening, and I suppose that, that, does, that tends to happen a lot with contemporary art. And I mean, we, we, I suppose if you work in the field, you struggle against those examples of when people come along and say, well, that's, what the hell is that? That's not even art. Um, so there is a sense that there may not actually be anything happening. And But then the the turnaround is that, well, is that's part of it, isn't it? It's kind of this quizzical, then-like state where you're questioning yourself and you're questioning yourself, questioning yourself. I think it's but, interesting in terms of art and the way it makes us understand our behaviour in an art environment because I think we've become... or rather the, the way in which we behave in an art gallery has, has, has become an institution in its own right or it's become conventionalised so that when we come across a, a work it really throws what we're meant to do or um, like for example I was just thinking about Tino Segal's piece in Documenta which I hadn't seen before I did this interview which is the opposite extreme where you walked into a small dark room where people were um, sing, singing um and dancing pop songs, and yet all of the uh, the audience coming in were kind of freaked out by this, and no one joined in. You know, these were sort of jolly songs, and um, in a normal environment, if you were kind of walking around uh, a bunch of people singing and dancing, you might be tempted to join in or whatever, but art makes us so much on our guard that, in fact, it mm. creates this weird barrier. So you're next to these people having a kind of simulated good time where you But you can't see... You can't see... You I, can't, did, I, saw, I went to that piece as well. Yeah. You can't see them at all. And I did actually feel very, very vulnerable when I walked in the room because there was a lot of activity going on, noise and movement, but you, you couldn't tell what it was. It's like you, as if you were in a bat enclosure. But it was a bit threatening like, to begin with. Yeah, and I think his work is weirdly threatening. I think mm. there's a sinister side to it, which... Yeah. Not uh, scared. I wasn't scared in the true sense, but I was definitely very on my... Uh, well, I don't know, it's almost as, you know, very aware of every step I was taking, which in a way was interesting. So I didn't feel a bit bad about it. And as I experienced that documentary, it was one of the better ones. Yeah. I, I, I haven't, I, unfortunately, I haven't managed to get to no. documentary, so I haven't seen... I, just want, I was going to ask you one thing, Morgan. You know you, yeah. you're in a band. Tell me the name of yeah. it. What's the name of your band? Plugs. 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 Just give you a little plug for plugs on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to say, when you're on the stage... And you mentioned about this thing of recognition with these guys who are in the Tino, uh, the interpreters in the interior, and you recognise somebody. When you're on stage playing in the band, is that is there any comparison between, say, you recognising somebody in the audience that you can you know, or is it is that is that, uh, when you're well, playing in the band, is that like is that like theatre? 
Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you can step out of that and you, you, you as a performer, you're much more in control. I remember I did a, a gig at a place called, it used to be called the Camden Palace and now it's called Coco. And it, it, it's like 2000 capacity, I think. And when we played there, it was completely full. And I saw somebody that I knew and I thought, right, it's his birthday. And I, I knew it was his birthday. No, I just, it wasn't his birthday, but I just saw somebody I knew and I thought, I haven't seen this guy for ages. So I just told everybody, I said, oh, that's my friend Darren. Everybody say Darren. And then the whole face just went, Darren. But that's the traditional way, in a way, of, yeah. of, of, of Western culture playing about with these kind of who's audience and who's not and, and, and breaking it and down. I, and and it's, everyone kind yeah. of understands that you're breaking the rules almost doing that. But well, it's but understood, that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's the tradition of our theatre, right? If you go back to Drury Lane, the Garrick, and places like that, and you've got, like, um, pantomimes and people doing and, and sort of people clowning and things like that. That's the idea of theatre. I mean, it was participatory. Then yeah, we should throw tomatoes right. or so, shout at them or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it, it involved the crowd. And I mean, it, somewhere uh, uh, through through the 18th century, it became this kind of bourgeois thing. Well, not, I, I don't know, not necessarily bourgeois, but just sort of snooty, you know. And so this idea that we have to, we, that people are sort of fighting against bourgeois indolence, and that's why we have to smash through the fourth wall. And that's kind of, and I think that's what, uh, uh, Claire Bishop is kind of uh, exporting to participatory art. It's this idea of there being some sort of fourth wall and it being a, 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 interesting that that's being shattered and we're just directly engaging. But it's just strange that, that there's a social bond that needs to be healed or there's, we're not communicating with each other and that, I mean, and that there needs to be an art experience for that to be, um, to be healed. It's just such a strange idea because... I don't think that this, the social bond's been broken. I, I don't think we're not communicating. So in some ways, when looking at participatory art along those lines is a puzzling experience for me um, because do, I don't, yeah. Do you agree with that, Jen? Is, that, is, is Morgan, I mean, do, you may well agree, I don't know. Um, yeah, I do agree. Or, or as I, I don't think, I think that one's behaviour in those pieces, it, or, or if, you, if you're an art world insider, as Tina Sekal calls them, then you can't possibly relax enough to have a normal encounter. Um, maybe just going to a gallery and bumping into people, like I did before I went to Tina's piece, was actually more of a social encounter than actually being part of his piece. But I don't necessarily think he's trying to do that. Um, but on the other hand, I think Claire Bishop ends up sort of arguing for these pieces being about visualising a dystopia. And mm. like Morgan, I don't think we're in the kind of such a dystopian um, world in which we need art to kind of to, to, do, to do this for us. Um, but I'm not sure that all the works that she describes are necessarily trying to do that. So no, um, yeah. it's, it's a complicated one, her book. I, I, it's I a difficult it's a difficult term, participatory art, and I don't think and I think a lot of the artists in in her book would ne not necessarily categorise their work as participatory. Yeah, um, however, you know, particularly how loaded it is with all of these ethical and and um, moral kind of questions, it's not like her book's about installation in which you can use it as an umbrella term with a, um, without offending people. I think this mm. I think there's a danger to her, to her sort of trying to fix this term. Um, but as I think you said, um, you know, the, the 
um, the interest in this book is going to be more perhaps in the responses to it than, than actually what she said. But I have a lot of sympathy with the way in which she's kind of gone about her book, which is try, to try and, um, you know, to go to as many of these things as possible. And, and, and yeah. I have sympathy with her trying to sort of falling in love with it in a way, you know, starting from a position of cynicism and, and finding, like, with everything, as soon as you get to know people, then... It's different, isn't it? It's different. Morgan, we've got about one minute left. Do you want to say something quick? Oh, uh, you, don't have, you don't have to. I can fill it in if I'm quite experienced at filling in holes of, of time. <laughs> well, I'm not sure actually. Um, well, you've done well. You've done, you've done ever so well, and you've, recall, and, you've <laughs> and you've been in France, which I, uh, I wish I wouldn't mind being there myself actually. But um, well, uh, yeah, okay. What, yeah. Are you, what are you doing there? You, by the way, are you, are you playing? No, I'm just here on a holiday. I was just Great stuff. Good stuff. Weird, Good stuff. Liberace-style hotel. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Listen, I'll just be clear for, for listeners. The, the Claire Bishop's book is called Artificial Hells. It's published by Verso, 2012. It's uh, 14.99, and it's uh, very easily available. And um, Morgan Quaintance is in the band, which we've already mentioned, called The Plugs. And Jennifer Thatcher is a critic and writer and teacher who writes regularly for Art Monthly. Um, there's another feature in the same issue by Jennifer, which is actually about the Olympics, the Cultural Olympics, I should say. And we we, di- we didn't get onto it. We did think we might do, but in the end, we didn't. So you'll have to read it in the current <laughs> issue, which is September 2012, number 359. Thank you all. And thank Morgan, you. thank you in France. Jen, thank Thanks you in London. Bye. Thanks for coming Happy on. Happy holidays, Morgan. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hi, right, thank you. Bye. B- bye-bye. Bye-bye.